This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. A mother seeks to unravel the truth of her past after learning that her daughter never existed. In this mysterious and poignant novel about healing, acceptance, and the magic of possibility, Annie Byers has everything. A beautiful house, a loving husband, and an adorable daughter. It's a day like any other when she takes Hannah to the pediatrician, until she wakes hours later from a car accident. When she asks for her daughter, confused doctors tell Annie that Hannah never existed. In fact, nothing after waking from the crash is the same as Annie remembers. Five happy years of her life apparently never happened. Annie's marriage is coming to an end. Now a successful artist living in Manhattan, she's no longer home in their beloved upstate farmhouse. Her long-estranged sister is more like a best friend, and her recently deceased dog is alive and well. With each passing day, Annie's remembered past and unfamiliar present begin to blur. Haunted by visions of Hannah, and with knowledge of things she can't explain, Annie wonders, is everyone lying to her? Valerie Atelis interviews Kelly McNeil, the author of A Day Like This. Kelly McNeil is the author of the novel A Day Like This. She worked in the entertainment industry, promoting concert tours and theatrical events prior to turning her full attention to writing. A native of Pittsburgh, she spent a number of years living in the Catskills region of New York, these days, you can find her in South Florida most of the time, and London the rest of the time, usually accompanied by good music, a good pen, and her daughters bopping along nearby. Meet Kelly at kellymcneil.com. Here's the interview with Kelly McNeil. In your own words, who is Kelly McNeil? Well, you start with the big question. It's funny because I guess the answer would be it depends on the day you're asking because I feel like I'm a bit of a shapeshifter. I always have been that way, but I would say first and foremost, I'm the mother of daughters and that that has defined so much of my adult life. I would also say that I'm I'm a seeker somebody who has always had so much curiosity about the world we live in, but not only the world we live in that we can see, but the world we can't see, which is much bigger. And so a lot of my interests have always been aligned with with that curiosity. And I would also say I'm a storyteller, and I always have been. I started telling stories when I was little to myself. I think I did it as a way of 
maybe kind of self-soothing and escapism. And then fortunately have been able to turn that storytelling into a career. So I'm feeling very grateful at the moment. Do you connect writing to healing somehow? I do, partly because I, I actually, when I'm when I sit down to write a new story, I write freehand in a journal, well, not in a journal, in a in a notepad with and paper, and I don't edit as I go, and it it turns into a kind of free writing, which feels very much like journaling, and. Of course, these are all fictional characters and fictional fictional situations that I'm writing about. So it's not journaling, but it does feel very much like a message being somewhat channeled from that uh, kind of ethereal place where inspiration and stories come from. And I think when that happens for any kind of any kind of art, whether it's writing or uh, painting or music, I think that it accesses a part of the subconscious in that artistry and it turns into healing and it turns into a form of therapy whether we intend it to be or not and so yeah I do I do think it does um, tend to be very therapeutic even though these are all fictional worlds there's a little bit of all you know there's a little bit of the artist bleeding through in that work otherwise it wouldn't be unique and personal to the the person creating it do you have any spiritual practices or belief systems, Kelly? I do. I do. I was raised in a very traditional environment, but always had a lot of interest in the more mystical arts. And I also very comfortable in the religion that I was raised in, but had a great deal of respect and curiosity about all religions. And, and then as I entered teen and adult years that turned into an interest in more non well I guess it's 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 become more common now it wasn't always but so I my spiritual practice tends to be a lot of meditation and I a lot of um, I have a phrase that I have where I just I will sit in a very quiet place and say I am listening and just being quiet in that. And there's so much wisdom and peacefulness to be gained in that. So that's something that I practice very regularly. Yeah. And I work with a lot of different talented people that I now call friends. Maybe, maybe that's astrology or maybe that is intuitives. And then I still enjoy all of the traditional practices I was raised with. So it's very, it's very much all over the place and respectful of many different beliefs. You mentioned earlier, you said, I am a seeker. So I'm wondering what are you seeking? Do you have a vision for what that is or might be? I seem to always be looking around the corner for what's next. And when I start to learn about something, I end up going down a rabbit hole that seems to be endless. And so if I read one book about a subject, then then I it, it will usually, you know, kind of pique my interest. So I want to know everything about it. And then I want to know what's behind the curtain whenever some, and then sometimes that's just me coming up with my own idea of what might be behind the curtain or around the corner, or it can be just, you know, very simple research, but I, I just, I have, learning is a big part of my, 
my personality and a big part of my happy place. And if I don't have the opportunity to do that, I become a bit restless if I don't have the opportunity to continue seeking and and learning. And in, and I think a lot of that is also learning about learning about other um, people's beliefs and discovering new cultures. So it can be something as simple as that, or it can can be, um, you know, like I said, looking for my own inner, inner wisdom and seeking whatever is coming next for my spiritual evolution. So it sounds to me like it's a place of curiosity when you talk about learning. And it's not a destination. You're not looking for something, a place to arrive at, which is beautiful to hear. That, yeah, it's very true. I think if we're looking for a, fi- a destination, I don't think we're going to find it. And I don't think that's going to be a very um, fulfilling journey. I, I, and I think that, that that's what this is all about is we've, con- we've come here to, to continue learning. And we will when we leave, we will continue that process. And speaking of destinations or the idea of destination, talk to me about how do you define success? What is that to you? Well, I think the, I think there are two different ty- types of success. I mean, you can have the very quantitative success where you're saying, okay, well, I want to have a story written. I want to have a book published. I want to be you know, successful. And so we have those, those sort of quantitative measures of what success is. But I think really when, when you achieve any of those, you're not going to find true happiness in them if there's not a greater purpose to it. And so for me, I, I've been getting messages now that the book is out in the world and people are, are starting to read it. I've been getting these really beautiful messages from people telling me that it's, it's opening their eyes to the world around them. It's helping them see their life a little bit differently, look at the choices that, they're, that they've, they've made in their lives. It is helping them to kind of see the magic around them in a way that they hadn't before. And when I started to get those messages, that to me felt like success. And so if that is something that I can do through my stories, it's a very lofty goal. But if if I can touch somebody's life in some way, then then that is certainly success. Is that how you define happiness too? Success it is. and happiness. I wouldn't have said that until you just mentioned it. But now that you... Now that you say that, I think that is it. You just want to know that you're, you have, um, you've affected somebody and, and, and touched their life in, in some way. And we do that with our loved ones around us, of course, if things go well and we do a good job of loving the people around us. But boy, is that powerful when you can do that mm-hmm. for somebody across the world that you've never even met. I hear that a lot, though. When it comes to the purpose of life or the purpose of one's life, it's always comes back to helping others or somehow influencing, changing. So I wonder why. Do you have an idea why do we feel so good and why we even call that the purpose of our lives to help others? I think it's a sense of connection. I think that's what we all need. That's the that's such a, a, an important part of contentment. And I, I think when you feel a lack of connection, that's when sadness, that's when you start to feel lost because you literally are lost. You are, you are disconnected from other people. And so when you have that connection, 
like I mentioned, when somebody says it sends me, I mean, this is just a very small example, of course, but when somebody sends me an email saying, you know, you've touched my life with your story, they've, they've now done the same for me. And it's a very equal and even exchange. And now we've connected in a way that has just on a simple level made, made that person's day better and they've made my day better. And we feel more connected in the world and not so alone. I think that loneliness is one of the one of the scariest things that people can experience and so when you feel that you have a sh- you you've shared a message or an idea with somebody and that that's resonated between two people or between more than two people it gives you a sense of um, purpose and connectedness and like you're not so alone to me always um, the message or the insight is that everything is connected essentially so we are not ever disconnected but there's a feeling of disconnection That's interesting to experience, because I have experienced that too, of course, feeling disconnected. And then I realized at that point that I was never disconnected. It was just a feeling. I have been always connected to everything and everyone, to life itself, actually being life itself, not even separate from life. I think I have that on my website, and I've been saying that more often than not these days, that I don't have a life. I am life. It's a way of communicating that message or that those insights that I, I have experienced, that everything's connected. Do you want to make a comment on that, Kelly? Or I have so many questions here for you, other questions. Mm-hmm. I was about to jump to another one. <laughs> no, that, that's fine. And we can, I just, yeah, my, my response is that, that that's very beautiful. And I think that that's part of what, when I mentioned earlier, that feeling of saying, I am listening. That's what that is. That's plugging into that connection and you know, that, that lack of grounding that can take over if you're numbing and you know, if you're numbing in some way, be it with social media or the busyness of life and you let that, let that take over, you start to feel disconnected, but you don't actually need any outside resources to feel connected. If you ground yourself in the right way and you just take a deep breath and say, I am listening and you allow that connection to, to return, but it is easy. My goodness, it's easy to get disconnected lately. <laughs> yes, very easy, true. <laughs> Distracted, yeah. So true, going back to the, that knowledge, the inner wisdom within, right? So uh, let me ask you this question. I have too many, way too many. Uh, this one, what do you love most about being in a human body? Uh, another big question. Well, you know, in a human body, we get to explore this beautiful world and and touch it and you know interact with it in a, in a way that I don't think um, you can in the in a, in the same way in, in a spiritual form. So I I think that's a big part of gratitude is you're just looking around at the magic in the human tangible world, whether it be just like this morning sitting out on my patio going, my goodness, those birds sound absolutely beautiful. And watching the way the clouds move in the sky and interacting with the physical world um, is a full thing. And, you know, we have hugs in physical form. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those true. are pretty wonderful, right? I agree. So <laughs> yes. I think that, yeah, I think that when you, when you immerse yourself in your physical world, well, that's just, that's a really beautiful way of being honoring your physical self. What is the meaning of freedom to you? What is to be free? I think that freedom feels like it feels very graceful. It feels very peaceful. When you feel when you feel like you're lacking freedom or you feel like you're constrained in some way, it's very often a state of mind and it's not true. 
um, I think that we become very confined by the stories we tell ourselves and the history that we have, you know, maybe it be from the, the, the way we were raised or the, the patterns we inherited from our parents or our uh, community, that can feel very confining. And so I think freedom is the feeling of being completely at home in yourself and being able to explore who you are and the things that you want to embody. And then, of you know, in addition to just being free to make the choices that we want and, uh, without restriction, but I think it's a graceful acceptance of yourself in your current state without all the stories behind you. And uh, my last warm-up question is, what is love to you? Oh, boy. I think it's very similar to the feeling of freedom, but I think there's a there's a component of letting go and surrender in love. It's something that I have been... I don't know, thinking about quite a lot lately. And I do think that it is surrendering to not being attached to the outcome or the receiving of love. It's just about the experience of it and the giving of it. So you wrote the book, A Day Like This, a novel. Talk to me about how you became a writer and what was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book? Well, I've been telling stories, like I said, my whole life. I just told them in different forms. You know, I when it came time to write the story, I was at a, a very... Well, I started writing in my early 30s. And I was, a, I was a mom with two young kids at home. And I was in a very um, transitory time of life. And I was, I felt a great deal of change, you know, in astrology, they call it the Saturn return post 30, where, you know, you're starting over. And that's very much what it felt like to me. And I thought, you know what, it's time for me to start get to, to start telling these stories that have been in my mind. And I knew that I loved to write. And so I decided to, um, I didn't actually set out to pursue it as a career. It was that I had a story come to me that needed to be told. And and so I wrote for the joy of it. And then once it was finished, I thought, okay, this is, I can make a career out of this. And so that's the, um, that is the way the my writing career started. But this particular book came to me in three different forms. The first was the concept of the book. I, I, I just happened to be, I used to live in a very rural area and I was driving down the road, this very rural road in the middle of nowhere with my baby girl in the back seat of the car. And I just had this thought like, if we were in an accident and we woke up and she had disappeared, that I, what, what would that feel like? And I mean, I don't know why that thought came to me, but I just thought, make a really interesting story to explore because there were so many different directions that could take and it was so unnerving. And um, I thought of this mother who, in, you know, grieving for a child is, is, is one idea that's been explored in literature, but to, to grieve for a child that may have never existed before, which is the premise of this woman's journey in my book. They tell her her daughter never existed so she's grieving an invisible child or who's a child that they're telling her is invisible or that she's invented in her mind. And um, so that was very interesting to me. And then I also wanted to write a story about a woman who was longing for a home that she had lost and the way we kind of look back on times of our life with a, a rosy recollection. 
that isn't always true and what it feels like to long for something that maybe never existed in the first place. And I had those two ideas coming together, but then I started to, as I I started to research, okay, well, what could be the reason why this woman is feeling this way? I, I found the intersection of mental health which came into play. I found, and then um, the woman is an artist. There was artistic imagination. Is she imagining it all? Is there somebody holding this, ba- holding her back from what she believes in? Is um, and then there were a lot of metaphysical things happening, mystical things happening, and and then there was science that came into play. So when you, I know that sounds like a lot, but when you tie all of those things together, there's there's a lot of commonalities between spirituality and science. And that became very interesting for me to explore. But the most important message of the whole book is a a story of just motherhood and a mother's love and a mother's intuition. Oh, wow. Now you caught my attention with the connection between spirituality and science. (laughs) What are some of the insights that you gained from that, from that research, Kelly, on spirituality and science? Well, as I mentioned, the intersection is in the commonalities were so interesting to me because you often see those two things placed at odds with one another and they're not. If you look at them together side by side, you see that they have so many lines connecting the two of them. It's really just about semantics in your belief system. And so I, I really, I could have gone into the research, the research part of that was something that I could have done endlessly and I would have loved to have put it all in the book, but then that would have really not been made for a story. So I just used it to inform her overall journey. So talk to me about motherhood, the joy, the challenges, the expectations, and also the most profound lessons you have learned from your relationship with your daughters? There are two, those are two uh, separate and distinct questions, but I think they do come into play because I, you know, as a mom, I was writing the book from the perspective of a mother of daughters. And, but, but what I really wanted to explore was this idea of mothers who have so much pressure on themselves to be perfect and why that is and what that does ultimately to the woman behind the mother. And when you, I think in our, in our culture, especially in social media, we have this idea of, you know, influencers out there who are posting photos of their, their perfect day as a mom. And it can be so intimidating. And it's like, you know, I think of these mothers out there who have loved their children well all day. They've helped them with their homework. They've provided good food for them. They've read them a story at the end of the night and tucked them into bed with a kiss. They've provided everything their child needs for a beautiful day. But then they go online and they look on social media and they see another mother doing it to perfection, like it's out of an editorial spread of a magazine, and they suddenly feel like a failure when that's not the case. And that's just such a sad sad thing to me because we try so hard as mothers to, to, to give our heart and our time and our days to our children. And then somebody's making us feel less than, and it's not to say there's anything wrong with them. These beautiful influencers out there, they can be very inspiring, but I think you just need to do to, to, I think we do need to be aware that that is not always reality and that you need to, as a mom, 
take a deep breath at the end of the day and say, I've done well, my child is loved and cared for. And I think if you get lost in that idea of perfection, then there's probably something else going on where you might be overcompensating or you might be frightened that you're going to do something wrong or you maybe didn't have a great childhood yourself. And so you're trying to do it as a way of fixing whatever was wrong in your own childhood. So I think moms today need to really just sort of take a look at why they want to be perfect and what their definition of 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 good motherhood is and make it for themselves and not worry about what other people's definition is. I love that message. Yeah, that's an important one. Well, for all of us actually to hear, mothers or not mothers like myself. And that's one of the topics that I love uh, to talk about, self-love, unconditional self-love. And yeah, that says it all, unconditional self-love. I love what you said about at the end of the day, just um, uh, have done what was asked of you and that's enough and that's good. And I love the idea of defining too for ourselves what motherhood is, what success is, what happiness is. Do you believe that we can somehow get to that realization of unconditional self-love? And if you do, do you engage in these kinds of practices these days? Self-love is one of the things I'm trying to teach my daughters to answer your earlier question. And it is something that I think is one of the hardest things to learn. And it is so important. I don't I, I, I don't think we ever fully get there, quite honestly, not in human form anyway. I, I think that's part of what we're here to learn. But I don't think it's... I think it's achieved by very, very special few. I mean, it's in its fullest form, but I do try, you know, I do try to do it. I think you can do it through journaling and making peace with yourself and in, in being very careful and mindful of the, the things that we, that we tell ourselves. And then also letting go of, as I mentioned before, the stories that were told to us as children. Maybe we did that type of love and we grew up believing that we were less than and that we weren't enough and we weren't cherished and deserving of love. And when you grow up that way, it's very hard to escape those messages because they're on a loop in your head. So you need to rewrite those stories and come up with a new one and tell yourself more beautiful messages. Certainly it is this um, rewriting that was the first stage for me, kind of creating new stories to replace the old ones. And now it became more almost like navigating this reality without belief systems. Just being present to what's present and being here in the body and kind of feeling everything without judgments. It's a practice, of course, or maybe a way of living, maybe a natural way of being. But yeah, the ideas of belief systems um, or adopting them, for some reason, is not attractive to me anymore. Although I love everything, so many topics, and they might, they might become a belief system, hopefully now. But it seems like there's a sense of a, of a feeling of um, not detachment, but there's less of a grip, per se, on anything. So it's kind of free. It's almost like we know everything's energy. It's free energy, just doing what it does. So I guess it might be that, hopefully. 
I I love what you said about belief systems. Yeah, they. I, I don't even really think of those that term anymore because I feel like I've at this point in my life come up with my own, and it's always changing. And so I don't. I, I just let it morph from day to day, and and that's fine. And that's my belief system now is that it's it's going to be changing. But when it comes to self love, I think. I think it's an exercise. I think it's a form of exercise very similar to working a muscle when you're in your physical body. It's really easy to love yourself when you're being loved and your life is going well and you have every everything's going right. And but when you're um, experiencing rejection or a deep form of heartbreak or things are um, not going the way you had hoped, that's when the exercise of self-love is the most important. And that's when you're really working that muscle because if you can stay in the in the graceful state of saying, okay, this person or this situation may not have loved or appreciated me in the way I wish they would have, but I know that I'm still deserving of it and I ha- and that can be enough for me right now. I think that's the ultimate form of of self love, and that's the ultimate that form, or that's the ultimate practice of it. So, in your book, you also explore the uh, the topic of mental illness, as you mentioned earlier. So, talk to me about some of the ways you explore the topic, and also what is your message on this subject. So, when I was looking for reasons, why why had this woman woken up one day and? been told that the daughter that she loved for five years, the husband she had, the beautiful home she had, it had all gone away and she was being told she had made it all up. What would be some why that could happen? And that's what Annie, the character in the book, she's that's what her journey is. She goes to different avenues looking to explain what it is. But the most common reason that she's given is that she is suffering from a form of psychosis that is very similar to what her mother had. And she was, um, she had inherited that mental illness, that form of mental illness. So, and that does seem to be the most likely uh, answer to, to her situation. And so when I, when it came time for me to examine that, I decided to do it from the approach of a woman who is terrified of becoming like her mother. She, she has spent her entire life terrified that she is going to be mentally ill. And so she has her own biases and she has her own harsh way of looking at it, very critical. And so it was a little bit uncomfortable for me at times to write a character that was so fearful, but that is such a common thing in our society. We have this fear of people who have these conditions when they don't need to be feared, they need to be supported and there needs to be a lot of compassion and a deeper form of understanding that is that is not condescending. And so I, I started doing a lot of research on different memory disorders and it happened as a result of maybe not mental illness, but a brain damage, something like that. But I also found these uh, these experiences that people had had of psychosis where they were doing something similar. They were waking up and in, in, in just, you know, maybe it was because they had um, a personality disorder or they were schizophrenic or, you know, there were different reasons Um in the medical community, why it might be happening, but those those experiences were, were very riveting, and I just thought, my goodness, the the impact that that would have on a person's life—it's easy for all of us who are going through life, you know, in a in a very linear fashion. But if you were to wake up one day and your reality was upside down, the terror of that experience would be 
just un- unbearable. And that was the story I wanted to explore. And then I wanted her to find compassion for her own experience and for the experience of her mother while also having fun um, sort of exploring some other uh, really kind of alternative ideas for uh, about mental illness. And those were all really interesting avenues to go down. That's in your book. So we're not disclosing it here, of course. But a general question about mental illness that I have for you is, what are some of the reasons you believe or feel most of us or people, some of us, are afraid and create this this sense of a stigma around the topic of mental illness. Do you have some ideas? I think it's about a lack of control. I think control mm. makes us feel yeah. safe. Yeah. And when your mental faculties are at risk, you start to have a feeling of losing control over your emotions, over your reality, over your day-to-day existence. And the most fearful I think, th- fearful thing, I think, is the idea of people around you looking at you and not believing you or um, not trusting you to... I, I think there's a, just a, a terrifying lack of control that happens in it. And so in order to overcome that, we make a... We, we create a system of other where it is happening to other people that cannot happen to me. It is something that happens to other people. And then we kind of shun that idea out of fear when it's, it's so much more, you know, there's all, there's a, there's a continuum of mental health and it, and there's all different types of ways that mental health can be affected and could come into play in your day where you may not even realize it. And um, I think finding a lot of compassion for yourself and, and for the people going through those those struggles and their family members um, is, is just something that needs to be uh, uh, supported more in, in our culture. And also understood, it might be that the more we understand about not just the causes, but that this is something that's natural. It could happen to anyone. The more we understand that, then it might shed light into those um, those ideas, those belief systems that this should not be happening or whatever ideas we have. And the book also explores what, what the meaning of reality is. Who are we to say what someone else's reality is? That's not our, I think we can become very arrogant in saying that my reality is yours, but we're two human beings and we've had two different experiences and we have two different journeys. On My reality may be very different than yours. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's a lot, we need to have a little bit more respect for, for what reality really means to one person. Yeah, you mentioned control. So that, I had a question in mind. It seems like we all need to have a, a sense, a feeling of control. And I wonder the balance between control and flow. It's actually, they rhyme in a way. Because I love the idea of the living and navigating life in a very natural way, flowing with what, whatever is present, like you do too, the way you answer the question about who you are. Beautifully answered, um, beautiful insight for all of us too. So yeah, talk to me for a moment about that, Kelly. We're almost at the end and I have so many questions that keep coming. <laughs> so control and flow, how do we balance that from your perspective? You know, there's there's actually a quote in the book and is that seems to be resonating um, with people. And it is, uh, if I can find it here, the we we may never fully know what lies beyond the hori- the horizons of the mind, but perhaps peace may be found in allowing ourselves to embrace the unknown to see what ha- unfolds when we get there. 
And it's funny that I had that quote here because somebody had emailed it to me earlier this morning, but it's exactly what you just mentioned about control. And I, I think that there comes a time when you need to just release that control and see what unfolds when you get there. And because I, um, we try so hard to, to have these expectations and goals and there can be a lot of disappointment in that because you can't control the outcome and then you feel like a failure or you feel somebody else has failed you or and that can be that can really perpetuate a feeling of sadness and lack but if you allow things to unfold gracefully and just see what happens when you get there you never know. I bet you're going to find something far more beautiful than you could ever have imagined for yourself. So we're almost at the end. I do have a few more questions for you. Would you like to add anything else or read a passage in your book? I'd be happy to read a passage if you would like. Yes, yes, please. So just to give you a little bit of context, this woman has lost her daughter and she is um, remembering scenes from her life with this beloved daughter that it seems are all in her imagination. Hannah hums along in in a little tinny voice, echoing like an image in a hall of mirrors. Pop! Graham pops little llama's head over the chair in the corner of her room, sending Hannah into a fit of laughter, darting away and then returning quickly as the second verse begins. Children's music is playing through a small speaker in soft musical tones while early morning sunlight casts bright rectangles of light onto the floor. I smile, recalling the way my mother had often sung that same song to me, and now it was a favorite of my daughter's, or would have been, had she existed. In a corner sits a rocking chair next to a window, where in the glow of a nightlight I'd sat with her, a baby nursing in my arms, staring out at the moonlit fields while listening to the coyotes sing their eerie songs on countless nights. The room was adorned in pale sage and lavender during the last few weeks of my pregnancy. I smile from the doorway as I watch my two favorite people in the world flitting about the room and laugh as I realize how Graham would hate the idea of being described as flitting. The song continues to play, and Hannah has picked up two more stuffed animals to join their morning party. I tiptoe in behind Graham and take a seat in the rocking chair, and as I do, Hannah stops her parade. Her eyes light up, and she tentatively walks toward me as I open my arms, inviting her to barrel into my lap, which she doesn't. The chair creak, and Graham turns his head to where I sit, rocking back and forth. But as he watches his daughter, I see the smile leave his face as he pales, and I wonder what's wrong. Mommy, she says, reaching out for me. I miss her. I know, me too, he says. But what are they talking about? I'm right here, guys, I say, standing. Why don't we pick a few lilacs to bring to her? Sound good, Graham says. Bring to me where? They turn the corner to leave the room, and over Graham's shoulder, Hannah waves a tiny little goodbye. And I wake in the morning to the melody of the children's song singing through my head, the scent of lilacs as the scene begins drifting off with the night. And for a precious moment, I forget that it is not real. Yeah, that really makes us kind of reflect about what is real. In in general, it seems like belief systems, they tend to establish reality. But what kind of reality? For whom, really? Thank you so much again, Kelly, for your presence in this reality. 
and your beautiful work. Thank you. I have two more questions for you, the ending questions. Let's see. I'll ask you this one. What is another word for mother? Caregiver, because that's what we're doing. We're showing care. True. Uh, although I was not a mother in this lifetime, it won't be. But you're a mother to other things. You know, I think there's different forms of mothers. We anything that we we care any any life form that we're caring for and giving giving love to and responsible for. That's motherhood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that you said that. I don't regret, but I kind of tend to try to imagine what that be like. This unconditional love that mm-hmm. seems to come so easily. Yeah, that's. It seems like a magical experience to have. And my last question is: What are three things you wish everyone to experience before they lose the body, before they die? Oh, I hope they see the magic that's around. I I think there is so much magic around us every single day, and we get so lost in the busyness, and we get lost in the routine and in in some of the you know mundane nine to five repetitive schedules. And when you take a breath, a break from that, if you if you're up in the morning and you feel the quiet before the dawn, there is so much magic around us. It's whether it be an intuition, or um, in dreams, or just in kind of the way the light might be coming through the leaves at that exact moment. Those are magical things, and and I think if you miss out on that, you're missing out on a huge part of what we're here to experience. So magic, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really. I hope that people people see that. Beautiful. That was one or one in three, Kelly. That wow. Was, magic, that was, magic, I mean, magic. Really, that's just one, <laughs> I think. You know, if you could, but then, you know, another two is I loved what you said earlier about freedom. I, I feel like a lot of people feel like they a lack of freedom. And you know, you, you hear from people at the end of their lives who look back and say, I wish I would have made this choice differently, but I didn't think I could have at the time. And I think we have so much more freedom in our choices than we realize because the universe is so much bigger and has so many more possibilities for us than we can even imagine. So free so that that freedom of of choice and and living. And the third thing is I hope that people see that they have you know, it ties into the other, but there's so much possibility for their life. They're only living a fraction of what they, of their potential and what, what God and the universe wants for them. And, and so I hope that they can just see a fraction of that potential and, and believe in it. Yes. Yeah. Magic, freedom, possibility. Um, they're all mm-hmm. connected, aren't they? They are. Very much connected, especially when we allow ourselves to to really experience what this is, lose that idea of control, trying to control everything. For some reason, I don't. I lost also interest in the idea of choice. Um, it's not that I don't feel I don't have choice, but I just let life kind of do what it does. And that is the best choice for this anyway, for what I call I. That is, it's almost like life took over <laughs> and now it does what it's supposed to do. I trust that that's nature and just naturally, gracefully dancing the dance of life. Mm, I think that's so beautiful. When you just said that, I thought of a, of a kind of a creek flowing through a riverbed. It doesn't make a choice about where it's going. It's just flowing along along the rocks and, will, and, and doesn't, doesn't worry about where it's going or what, what direction it's taking. It just flows. 
Thank you for your presence again. Thank you for your wisdom, your profound wisdom, the way you express that natural wisdom and kind of um, not just natural wisdom, but also um, insights that you have gained through experience and being in the human body. Thank you so much again for who you are. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Oh, thank you for asking. Well, you can find me on my website, kellymcneil.com. And my book, A Day Like This, is out officially on November 1st. And you can get it wherever books are sold, wherever you like to buy your books. And I hope you, I hope you enjoy it. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Kelly. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Kelly McNeil and her work, please visit kellymcneil.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.